The best sports month of the year has arrived and there's plenty to get into. A national championship game tonight as UConn tries to run the table without breaking a sweat. Or will San Diego State's magic carpet ride carry them to a title? In the women's tournament, Caitlin Clark has been the big story as her Iowa team made it to the final, but it's what happened in defeat that's causing a roar on social media. Here come the Lakers as we enter the last week of the season. Can the Islanders hang on to their wildcard spot as a late push by the teams beneath them are turning on the pressure? Where do we stand in both fall winter sports as teams jockey for playoff positioning? The first weekend of baseball has concluded with faster games, an incident between Anthony Rendon and the fan, plus my over-under numbers that I didn't even cover in the previous podcast. These next few months will be fast and furious with so much that the sports universe will throw at us. I'll make sure to catch everything and throw it right back at you. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It is here. The NFL Draft, the Stanley Cup Playoffs, the NBA Playoffs, the baseball season, the Masters, tonight, the National Championship Game, All those events will take place in this wonderful month of April and here to get the party started with what's gone on over the past few days as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. So let's get cracking. It is going to be a month that's going to have our head spin and in particular a spring which is going to just have sports Coming out of our ears, eyes, and every orifice. So you know that this is going to be an exciting time. I got you covered. And we're going to start off with what had taken place over the weekend, in particular Saturday down in Houston, as the Final Four now in the books. And we had the last two teams standing tonight, 920, San Diego State and UConn. And the theme going into this, as we talked about on Thursday, was whether or not there was going to be an encore in regards to what has taken place up until this point in the tournament and all of the upsets, the comebacks, anything that you could possibly imagine that this tournament was going to fulfill, it has done that and then some. 
And when we look at the first game there on Saturday, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic, it sure looked like it was going to be the Owls' night based on the way they were playing. It was close there at the half, but then once the second half began, the Owls started to stretch their lead. They extended it to as many as 14. And even though it's that dangerous time, 13 minutes ago, we've seen a lot of double-digit deficits at that time of the game in previous games throughout this tournament where the teams have come roaring back that they've been able to either take the lead or win on a last-second shot as it was. That was the case there in that first game with the Aztecs. But for the Owls, I know that they have not slept a wink since that time of the game when they had that 14-point lead. you got to wonder whether or not they were resting on their laurels a little bit. They weren't attacking. They weren't breaking down that Aztec defense as we've seen throughout this tournament. And for the Owls to just kind of take the pedal off the metal a little bit, had the Aztecs inching closer as time was elapsing. And I'm sure as much as they could look at it and say time was their friend, it ended up becoming their enemy. The Owls, that is. Because it looked like toward the end they were playing to lose. Just in that final 30-something seconds as the Aztecs were chipping away. And even though they had possession, one-point game, they had to call a couple of timeouts, one on an inbound pass where they couldn't even get the inbounds. They called the timeout and burned their final couple of timeouts. To me, I thought showed how tight they were. They knew that they had that sizable lead. They knew that the pressure was on them considering they had a one-point lead. And as it was, John L. Davis went to the basket, didn't draw a foul, Missed the layup, and then the other way back, San Diego State coming down the floor. They still had a timeout, but they decided not to call that, which was smart on the coach's part. You want to let the game breathe. They had plenty of time to get down the court to set themselves up for a final shot. And as we saw there, Lamont Butler on the right wing had a 15-footer, Swiss right through the net. Crowd goes crazy, 72-71. The Aztecs, one more time. The magic carpet ride that they've been on since day one of this tournament. And when we look back at last Sunday, beating Creighton. Now I understand we could talk about the foul until we're blue in the face, but they ended up winning the game. And sometimes you need to have these breaks. You need to have these moments to get yourself to that mountaintop, to be that last team standing, to win the whole thing. Now they have a big one coming tonight and we'll get to that. But for San Diego State and everything that they've had to endure here throughout the course of these last two and a half weeks, for them to be able to get past Creighton, and granted, FAU is not North Carolina Duke of years past, but still, they were up against the ropes, they took a lot of what the Owls had as far as body blows and even a few headshots, but when they were able to get their equilibrium back and knew that they had plenty of time in the game, even though they were down 14, they were able to slowly but surely come back, put some pressure, and finally get that defense to clamp down on that Florida Atlantic offense and then as we saw there in those final seconds to where Florida Atlantic looked like they were a little erratic they didn't really get their play set they had to call those timeouts and as we saw the missed layup going back down the floor the last second shot and that is just a not even a gut punch that is a kick to the groin if you're Florida Atlantic and I want to start with them quickly only because This is a school that they could talk about how great this season was and how they put their school on the map, so on and so forth. And yes, they did. They were in the top 25 this year. They had a phenomenal tournament. They played exceedingly well. But for them to lose this game, and like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I'm sure from the top on down, 
coach, coaching staff, players, university, etc. You think they have slept a minute since that loss? Knowing that it is going to be, I won't say impossible because they made the impossible possible this spring by making it this far. But knowing that they were this close to getting to a national championship game and have San Diego State steal it for them, I wouldn't sleep until, I was going to say training camp, until they're ready to start Midnight Madness in October. Because for all the accolades that they deserve and for all the credit that what they've been able to do here throughout March Madness, but for them to not close the deal, seal that final 10-11 seconds of the game, and it would have been nice that they got a basket there. They would have pushed the lead to three or even a foul. And I could see John L. Davis wanting to possibly do that. And I'm sure based on whatever play was drawn up or for the coach, they said that let's try to get to the basket, get a foul. I understand it's going to stop the clock, but we want to make sure that at least we could get some points here. And as it was, they didn't get any. And of course, go the other way. Lamont Butler, game winner, and that's it. I understand we could give it up for what they did and kudos. And I was rooting for Florida Atlantic hard. Nothing against San Diego State. I wanted to see a Miami FAU matchup, which would have been, I get it. For South Florida, that would have been a huge deal. And for the rest of the country, who cares? But why not? It would have been a different Final Four altogether. UConn, we've seen them in Final Fours in the past. And now, as we usher in UConn to the next game against Miami, they are here one more time in a national championship game, another setting to where they can win their fifth national championship in school history. And they continue to play as if they haven't even broken a sweat. They steamroll again. They dominate. Miami had no answers throughout the course of the game. What did they have? 24 points at the half. They shot terribly. UConn was relentless. Adama Sanogo, now it was time for him to shine. We've seen Jordan Hawkins be a guy that has been leading this team in scoring here over the last couple of games. But this team is deep. This team is versatile. This team can beat you in so many different ways. And Miami saw that front and center there in the second game Saturday night. And UConn, we talked about this on Thursday's podcast. We wonder whether or not they were going to have a moment where they were going to stare at a deficit or stare at a situation where it's coming to crunch time, where they're going to play tight, where they're not going to be as loose, where they're going to face a little bit of adversity. And to this point, they haven't done so. And I can't recall of a team that's made it to a championship game, not won it, but has made it to a championship game and has not had that one game where you had to sweat it out, you had to bite your fingernails to the nub, the white knuckler type of game where you're at the edge of your seat and you're wondering whether or not UConn's going to pull it out. They have not had that. And I think if there's one thing going into tonight's game, San Diego State, there's going to be pressure on them, but they completely have house money. This is a fast and loose game for them. Now, granted, they don't really play that way. They play more of a suffocating, physical type of defense where they're going to want to slow you down. They're going to want to break you down and then get their offense from guys like Lamont Butler, even Matt Bradley, who is going to be critical in the game tonight. And I'll talk about that in a second as far as just a preview of what to possibly expect. But UConn, they've done it with ease. They've done it as if they've been on a roll since January. And as it is, think about this. They have lost how many games this year? I believe their record is 30 and 8. 
One of those losses have been out of conference. The other seven have been in the Big East. So to know that they have pretty much run the table almost against teams outside of the Big East where their record, if I do the math correctly, they were 13-7 and seven in the conference. So they are 17-1 and one outside of the conference. What makes me think that all of a sudden this is going to change tonight considering that they've had a cakewalk and I understand maybe the competition hasn't been as stiff or they haven't faced any... Now, I understand they beat Gonzaga and they bludgeoned them, especially in that second half. But it's not as if you look at this UConn team and going back to the regular season that this was a team that, yes, could they have made a Final Four and won a national championship? Absolutely. But as far as them being dominant, as far as them being a team that you knew they were going to be a tough out no matter what, and granted that this has been... A bit of a, I'm not going to say a cupcake because that's not fair to the teams that they played before them. But when you're winning by double digits, when these games are pretty much over at the beginning of the second half and there's nothing to watch, you would think that this trend is going to continue. Why would this all of a sudden reverse unless San Diego State just plays out of their skulls tonight and they clamp down like a vice to the point where UConn has no answers? And we just talked about how versatile and how much depth they have and how there's a team that could beat you in so many ways. And as we now segue into the game tonight, to me, it's the combination of will the clock strike 12 and will this magic carpet ride take them to a national title, San Diego State that is, or will it be another dominant performance and one of the more dominant efforts that we've seen from start to finish by a team winning a national championship in UConn. That's the story for me. Because we could talk about how San Diego State and what they are capable and what they've been able to do up until this point. And obviously with UConn, everything I said about their dominance. But as of right this second, I have to go with my gut. And my gut's telling me that San Diego State, I think they're going to give a valiant effort. I think they're going to play well. And one thing that I see in this game that is not going to be like all the others that San Diego State has played. If UConn gets a lead, it's not going to be a thing to me whether San Diego State is going to be able to come back. It's going to be more, is UConn going to let him back in the game? UConn has literally put the foot on all their opponents' necks here, especially going back to the Sweet 16, where they just obliterated Arkansas, did the same to Gonzaga, Obviously, what we saw there Saturday night, they did not let these teams get back in the game. Now, as we've seen, San Diego State has done that throughout the course of the tournament. And could we expect that tonight? It's possible. Anything can happen here. Would I be shocked if San Diego State won tonight? I think I would be surprised based on what we've seen here with UConn. But my thing is, is that can they do it one more time? UConn is a different beast altogether based on everything that I just explained. They are not a one-dimensional team. They're not a team that just likes to run and San Diego State is just going to try to trap them in a half-court type game. That's not going to happen. So if UConn does get a lead, and I will say into the second half because they can have a double-digit lead in the first half and let's say San Diego State cuts it to eight so UConn has a sizable lead going into the second half. And even if they get out of the gate quick and they jump out to a 16-point lead, I think San Diego State has the capability of coming back. But will UConn 
just say, all right, we're going to continue to play fast and loose. We're going to continue to play our game. And then next thing you know, San Diego State gets a few stops. They get some buckets. And now that lead that was 16 is now six. Will UConn let them back in the game to that point? Because if San Diego State is going to hang around, that's when they're going to get UConn. And that goes back to everything I said about them maybe playing tight, maybe not playing as fast or loose, or to the point where they're going to have a little bit of that swag maybe knocked off of their shoulders. That remains to be seen. And that's where I would be surprised if UConn does jump out to that lead and is able to not thwart San Diego State's efforts to make a run because as we all know in basketball, whether pros or college, teams are going to be making runs at various points of the game. But we haven't really seen that with UConn throughout the course of these last two and a half weeks. And can I expect that to change tonight? I would say no. But we have not seen them play a nail-biter, close-to-the-vest, back-and-forth type game to where the score different lead changes, games tied. We have not seen that. Now, we would think the advantage is going to go to UConn based on what they've done so far. But I think if the game is going to be nip-tuck and close, it's going to benefit San Diego State because they know how to play these games. Now, granted, they're not going up against the talent like they are with UConn here, but it does bode well for them if they are able to hang in there or even get out to a lead to where they're able to manage the game and not let the game get away from them, if that's going to happen, San Diego State has an excellent shot to win this game. And combine that with the pressure that UConn hasn't faced all spring and all tournament long, understood. Now, I want to see a great game here, and I would think, based on everything that we've watched from, what, March 14th to tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if this game comes down to the wire. I wouldn't. Would I be surprised if UConn loses, like I mentioned? Absolutely. But we have seen stranger things here throughout the course of this tournament. Why would that all of a sudden change now? I'm sure everybody is looking at UConn to win tonight. And gun to my head to use that. I know it's a little strong. But I think UConn's going to win. Why not? You're not going to play five dominant games and all of a sudden go into a shell and the next thing you know, San Diego State's going to be cutting down the nets. Everybody's going to pick UConn. San Diego State, I'm sure they probably heard it from the time that UConn and that final buzzer against Miami won. They probably heard that San Diego State has no shot. And I'm sure they're going to use that as fuel or their own personal bulletin board material, whatever it may be. But with the way March Madness has gone, And as we all know, this tournament has been madness times 10. Would I be surprised to see the Aztecs shock the world as a team that was a five seed? You know, it's not as if they were a nine seed like FAU or a double digit seed like VCU or Butler many years ago when they faced off in the final four. This would be the absolute cherry on top, not only to this tournament, but to a college basketball season that nobody could have ever predicted in their wildest imagination. And let's see what happens tonight. Now when we reconnect on Thursday, the game is going to be a couple days in our review mirror. So for instant reaction and analysis, you could go to any of my social media accounts on YouTube, at JReels, on Instagram, even Facebook, the JReels podcast, as well as TikTok, don't forget that. 
So you'll get a video analysis of the game tonight. Whether it's close, tied, you know it, blowout. You'll get my full assessment on that and I'll go a little bit more in depth on Thursday if need be. So that's what we got with the men's game. And now with the women's game, I didn't really follow this from start to finish. I know a lot was made out of the weekend where South Carolina, we all know, led by Coach Dawn Staley. They had a perfect record going into the Final Four against Iowa and Caitlin Clark, who's made herself a household name. And with what they did there on Friday night, I was going to say Saturday. And if I said Saturday before that, my apologies. Friday night where the Hawkeyes were able to upset the Gamecocks. And Staley, I know, made some comments in the postgame, which I didn't really gather or didn't really get a sense or grasp of. So my apologies there. But they did stop their streak. And then you had LSU go up against Iowa there yesterday. And a lot of the talk in social media last night was what happened there as LSU was pretty much getting ready to take a knee and were in victory formation where Angel Reese, the LSU player who ended up being the most outstanding player in the tournament, she had given Caitlin Clark a little bit of her own medicine going back to the Elite Eight where Caitlin Clark did the you-can't-see-me gesture. I believe that was John Cena or somebody who's done that where you wave your hand in front of your face where you can't see me, and she did that then. And also during the semifinal game against South Carolina, I think she waved off a couple of South Carolina guards, showing a little swag, showing a little presumptuousness, and I'm sure that didn't go well with the South Carolina coaching staff, the players, etc., even though Iowa went on to win to face LSU in this final. But for Angel Reese to do that, and I know the uproar was talking about how Angel Reese was classless, but just a few days prior, they were talking about, oh, look at the competitiveness, look at the fire of a one Caitlin Clark doing that to, I believe it was Louisville, in that Elite Eight game. And come on, people. The ultimate double standard, I'm sorry. If people are going to get on Angel Reese for doing that, you can't see me gesture in front of Caitlin Clark, then you got to go at her against Louisville for doing the same thing. Just because, I don't want to make this a race thing, but that's pretty much what this is fueled because if Clark is going to do it and everybody's going to celebrate it and then Reese does it in Clark's face, then it's like, oh, did she really have to do that? Why is she showing her up? What kind of sportsmanship is that? Everybody getting in a sour mood because of what she did to Clark as to what Clark did to Louisville. Now, there's a bit to unpack here with this because one, I understand that people are going to look at that and... There'll be in an uproar. But this is sports in 2023, people. Let's face it. Whether it's bat flips, whether it's first downs, where the wide receiver or the running back's pointing in the face of the defensive player, and I get it, you could get a taunting depending on how extreme it is, or even some of these touchdown celebrations, or the finger wags, and I get it in basketball, sometimes you get a technical. There's no way that in this day and age, Players, especially young players, they're not going to do that to put themselves, whether it's on a highlight reel or on SportsCenter or anything like that. We've seen this now over the last few years. So why is this going to change? Now, the bigger picture is, was it right for Clark to do that to Louisville as it was for Reese to do that to Clark there yesterday? Of course not. You would think that you would want to be the type of player as if you act like you've been there before. You don't want to be that guy that's going to, or girl, a woman in this case, 
where you're going to try to show up the other team or you're going to try to rub it in. Obviously, when we look at some of the greats in the past, Kobe never did that. Jordan never did that. Tim Duncan never did that. Tom Brady never did that. Yeah, there may be some competitive yells or things of that nature, but never to the point where they're either going to point at the scoreboard or point at their watch or do anything like that to show up the other team. And we've seen that all the time. Speaking of pointing at the watch, Damian Lillard, when he did that against Oklahoma City many years ago, when they beat them on that buzzer beater to win the playoffs, and he did that. Now, granted, it wasn't at the bench, but still, by doing that, it's showing up the other team. Nobody's getting crazy about that. Does it make it right? In my case, maybe because I'm a little bit more old school, you'd rather just show them by doing the work on the court as opposed to doing the work and then laughing in their face in the process. But act like you've been there before. But remember, this is how it is, this generation and sports in 2023, that the player, they're going to, I hate to use this word, pimp themselves as much as they can. Whether it's taking a half hour to circle the bases after a home run, whether it's a touchdown celebration where it's all about me and showing up the other team, whether it's, like I said, the first downs, hockey don't really see much of that, but that's how sports is. So if you don't like it, of course I could have an opinion on it, but this is the culture of what the athlete is in this generation. Because the older athlete, they're not going to do that. They're just going to show and prove what they're capable of doing, whether they dunk on you, whether they hit a home run or strike you out. They're just going to either walk off the mound or take their circle around the bases and get in the dugout, and then that's it, and celebrate with their teammates, and then in the postgame, be like, yes, that felt good, we're champions, or we move on to the next round, and that's it. That's how you lead. That's how you show the type of player you are where you don't have to puff your chest out and make it all about you. And yes, we may have seen it in certain instances in the past with certain players, but as far as the all-time greats, I understand not every player is going to be an all-time great, but they're not going to do that the aforementioned Kobe, Jordan, going down the list. Once they win, they win, they celebrate, and that's it. And for them, it's on to the next game or on to the next season. Case closed. So I don't like it that Reese is getting all this backlash because of it, and then Clark didn't. That's nonsense. But did both of those players have to do what they did in order to start up this firestorm, so to speak? Of course not. Now let me turn my attention to the hardwood of the pros as we get the college out the way. And as we get into the final week of the NBA season, the last few games as the season will end on Sunday, and then you'll have the playing tournaments start not only on Tuesday and Wednesday, but that'll lead into Thursday, Friday, and then next weekend we'll have the beginning of the NBA playoffs But as we take a look at what we have now, and don't look up, left, right, look right in front of you, because guess what? Here come the Lakers. Are they peaking at the right moment? Dare I even say that, could this be a team that we may have to pay attention to and a force to be reckoned with come this time next week? Now... There's going to be a scenario where they could actually may creep up until the top six where they may not be in the playing tournament altogether. So let's think about that. Because the Lakers, what they've done here, they've won 10 out of their last 14. They've put themselves in a position where they're now currently seventh in the West. 
as they've been able to go on this road trip. Anthony Davis has been the Anthony Davis that we've seen when he's dominant and on top of his game. Just scoring points at will, rebounds, getting involved the way an Anthony Davis and LeBron James-led team we all thought would be, even going back a couple of years ago when they won the championship in the bubble. But if these guys are going to be healthy, I'm not going to say they're going to go to a final. But at least we can look at this team as one that may be a tough out here over the course of April and maybe even into May. As I mentioned, the Lakers, 40-38. and 38. Now they're tied with the Pelicans for the seventh seed. But the good thing is, if the season ended right now, they would actually have the home court. Because the way the playing tournament works, it's 7 versus 8 and 9 versus 10. So the Lakers would actually host the Pelicans, and if they win that game, they'll be a 7 seed. But they're just a half game behind the Warriors and the Clippers, and the Lakers and Clippers play one another Wednesday night. So that's one to keep in mind. Now that's a road game, quote-unquote, for the Lakers, so it's going to be more of a Clipper crowd, but I'm sure whatever the Laker fans are going to do to get themselves in that building, knowing that they could put themselves in a position where they could make it into the top six. They don't have to worry about the play-in tournament. They could rest for the week leading into the weekend and see where the chips fall as to who they'll play at that time. But the Lakers, are we really going to have to take them seriously at this moment? I'm going to say yes, but I don't think it's going to be sustainable. Because the Lakers have been playing playoff games here for the last couple of weeks. And even with LeBron back in the mix... And him being his usual self, he had a triple-double there last night, who I believe tied Jason Kidd for fourth all-time, if you're interested in that. But if this team is going to be together, more importantly, healthy, they have a shot to make some noise. Because we've seen teams in the past, whether you're a five seed or below, have these runs. Remember the Houston Rockets after they won the title in the 93-94 season, they were a five seed and had to go on the road for all three series in which they did and ended up winning an NBA final against Orlando that year. The Knicks were an eight seed. I get it, they're an eight seed and that was the lockout season so you had all these games that were compressed and it was a five game series which back then, remember, if you're an eight seed, you had a better chance of beating a one seed because of the unknown and short series that anything could happen throughout five games as opposed to seven. And as we saw there, the Knicks were able to win in five games off of that Allen Houston crazy bouncing off the backboard, rattling in the rim through the hoop for them to win that series. So with the Lakers and even with the West, maybe not as, I'm not going to say strong, But Memphis, you would think they have a run in them. Sacramento is a question mark. You have to say that despite the fact that they've had great success this year. Phoenix, you talk about health there with Durant. Although they're playing well, they've won five in a row. The Clippers, you don't know what you're going to get from one night to the next. And we got to wait and see what's going to happen with Paul George as I believe he's still out of the lineup. Remember, he hurt himself there in that game a couple weeks ago. And I believe maybe this week they'll reevaluate him. So we'll have to see the status of him moving forward. And the Warriors, they're a team that, think about this, they've won nine road games all year. And the Warriors, although they're currently entrenched in that sixth spot tied with the Clippers, although the Clippers are right now in the five seed, as I've said before, and I'll say one more time, I don't think they have a deep postseason run in them. So now it sets up for the Lakers pretty well as a team that may fly under the radar, and who knows, maybe if they get out of the first round, 
and they get to a conference semifinal and they have a 2-1 series lead on whomever they play at that time, they could be dangerous. Do I think they will? Dangerous enough that I think they'll win a round and I'll talk more about this next week when we get into the playoffs, but we may have to take them seriously here because whether they're either peaking at the right time or they've peaked, it's something that we're going to have to keep in the back of our memory bank because this could be a stretch to where the Lakers could take off and maybe make some noise here in the Western Conference. And sticking with the Western Conference, how disappointing have the Timberwolves been here down the stretch? All right, they lose at home to the Lakers there on Friday night. Okay, that could happen. We just talked about how the Lakers have been playing well here throughout the course of these last few weeks. But then for the T-Wolves to have a home game against the Portland Trailblazers, who have been tanking here for the last God knows how long, losers of five in a row and 11 of the last 12. And for those who are betting men, and that's one that I am not, the Timberwolves had a 19 and a half point spread as favorites against the Blazers. And what happened? They lose 107-105, which is the biggest upset over the last 30 years. And we thought we saw the biggest upset a couple of weeks ago. Remember when the Mavericks were at home against the Charlotte Hornets? And I believe that was a 16.5 point spread. And they lost that game and actually had a lead in the game and blew it. And we thought that was a big upset at the time. Well, the Blazers said, or I should say the T-Wolves said, hold my beer. And fighting for a playoff spot as they're currently a game and a half behind both the Lakers and Pelicans. Now they're a game ahead of the Thunder for the ninth spot. So they should get home okay. But this is not bode well for a T-Wolf team that going into this year had high expectations. Made it to the postseason last year. All right, they shot themselves in the foot to the point where they should have pushed that series to seven games against Memphis. They went to six before bowing out. And then with Carl Anthony Towns coming back after that calf sprain or that calf injury for, what, over four months and getting him back in the mix to go along with Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards, etc. And for them to just spit the bit the way they did yesterday, who knows what type of shelf life they're going to have if they not only make it into the play-in tournament, which they will, and they will have the home game if the season ends today against Oklahoma City, But remember, if they lose that game, they're done. If you're the 9-10, you win that game, then you go on to play the loser of the 7-8 matchup. So the T-Wolves had a lot of work ahead of them as we take a look at the schedule here over the last few days because it's going to be Minnesota, I mentioned Oklahoma City, and then the Mavericks, who as we've talked about here over the last couple of weeks, and in particular last Monday, I believe, even Thursday we touched on it a little bit. But for the... Mavericks, who are currently a game back of Oklahoma City for the 10th spot. And I'll start with them. The Mavericks have three home games this week. They're going to host Sacramento, Chicago, San Antonio. Now, if they could get past Sacramento, because they really don't have anything to play for. Sacramento looks like they're going to be entrenched in that spot where they're currently. Let me just take a quick look here. The Kings, yes, they're going to be entrenched in the in the three spot because they have a... Sizable lead over the Suns as the 3-4 matchup or the 3-4 seeds in the conference. And then Memphis has a two-game lead over them. So they're going to be a three-seed no matter what. Will they start resting players now? It's too early in the week because remember, they're not going to have another game or start the playoffs until the following weekend. So I would think Coach Mike Brown, they're still going to play their starters. 
I'm sure as they get toward the end of the week, they'll probably shave off their minutes and their playing time to get themselves ready for the postseason a week after that. But for Dallas, their schedule being at home and knowing that they have Chicago, who right now they're currently 10th in the Eastern Conference and they're going to make it to the postseason because Washington's four games back. So they're going to make it. But they're going to try to see if they maybe they could get to the ninth seed so they could host the game. But they're two games behind. Let me see. No, they're actually one game behind Toronto. So maybe there's a possibility for Chicago to get a home game in that playing scenario. And then they have San Antonio, who, as we all know, their season was over back in early January. So let's see if Dallas could creep up there and snatch one of those final two spots. As far as Oklahoma City, their final three games, I believe two of them are on the road at Golden State. Not going to be easy. At Utah, their season's over, but they may be competitive. And then home to Memphis, who they're going to play probably nobody at that point. So they're probably just going to play out the string and maybe Oklahoma City will hang on there to get one of those two spots. And then lastly, as far as the T-Wolves go, they also have three games at Brooklyn tomorrow, at San Antonio Saturday, and then home to New Orleans Sunday. So at Brooklyn, they look like they're going to be entrenched in the sixth spot but they're going to continue to push pedal to the metal to at least get themselves out of the playing tournament for good. And then at San Antonio, New Orleans, let's see what the Pelicans will look like come Sunday as far as maybe needing that game for home court. So the Lakers could probably go there. Or who knows, with the way this NBA Western Conference has shaped up here over the last, I'd say, couple of months, and when we look at the bottom part of that bracket again, you have... Pelicans, I understand that they're going to be safe. You would think them and the Lakers because they do have a two-game lead in the loss. It's pretty much going to be those three teams for the one spot, whether you're Minnesota, Oklahoma City, or Dallas. And then, once we get to the weekend, and through that, the playoffs will begin next week. And we'll certainly recap that all, whether it be on Thursday's podcast or what's happening over the past couple of days. I know the Celtics are playing in Philadelphia tomorrow, a big game there. And Milwaukee pretty much clinched the one seed. Not only did the Celtics embarrass them on Thursday night there, what was it, a 41-point win, 140-99, to but they did beat the Sixers there a couple of days ago, and I thought that if the Sixers would have won that game and the Celtics, they would have crept a little closer to the one seed in the East, but right now they currently hold a two-game advantage, and the Celtics have a three-game advantage over the Sixers, so that game doesn't have much importance when it comes to the tiebreaker scenario or at least getting a two seed overall if the Celtics win they're going to clinch that two seed no problem but with the Bucks beating the Sixers there they look like they're going to have the one seed and have home court throughout the entire postseason because the Denver Nuggets at 52 and 26 they are currently four games behind the Bucks for the best record in all the sport and you would think that the Bucks with what they have four games left both teams have four games left there's no way that the Bucks are going to lose four straight, so they would have the home court throughout by securing at least one more win from here until Sunday. Now, as I lace up my skates and take a trip on the ice around the National Hockey League, the season will end a week from this Friday. So, unlike the NBA, which will end this Sunday, we still have five or six games, depending on who you are, left in a hockey season that teams jockeying for playoff positioning And we see a lot of that, not only with the wildcard races in both conferences, but as far as divisions, more so in the West than in the East, 
because you have separation with the Atlantic as we've seen the Bruins. Uh, look at this. They are three points, or I should say three wins away from breaking the all-time record set by the Red Wings of the 95-96 season and the Tampa Bay Lightning 2018-19. They're 60-12-5. and 125 points. So we know that they are now seven points behind the all-time record set by the Lightning. And you would think with five games left that they would win at least three of them. And even if they didn't, their sights are set on a Stanley Cup. So with that race long gone, probably since late February, and in the Metropolitan, you have Carolina with a game in hand with the Devils and Rangers have a three-point advantage over both the Devils and Rangers. And not to say that they should cruise into a division title, but that race there looks like not a foregone conclusion. A lot could happen here over the last week and a half, but it's not a hotly contested race there at the top. When we look out west, We have Minnesota, who won that big game against Colorado, but now Colorado inching back as they're just a point behind the Wild and also a game in hand. So with the Wild at 97 points and Colorado at 96, followed by the Dallas Stars, who also have 96 points and a game in hand as well against Dallas. Colorado, it's all in front of them to see whether or not they could scoot right past both Dallas and Minnesota to get the top spot in the central that means they would host in the opening round and let me just take a look here no they wouldn't have home ice right now in the west that currently is held by Vegas but that would be interesting if Colorado were to surpass both of those teams and get the division crown because like I mentioned they will have home ice and as it is right now they would have home ice against Dallas in the opening round but to win a division For a team that won a Stanley Cup and did not have their best player in the middle of the season and won Nathan McKinnon and they've been scuffling at times throughout the course of this year, I think for them to get the division crown would mean a lot for that organization only because of the hard work and all the battling that they had to do just to get to this point and maybe even get first place would speak volumes for what they will do maybe come April, May, and June. And as for... Vegas, they have a slight one-point advantage over the LA Kings and also a game in hand with LA. Edmonton, they are just a point behind LA and two behind Vegas. So that is going to come down to the wire and we'll take a look more so on Thursday because we'll have a better look as we'll have eight days left in the regular season as opposed to now because a lot could happen between now and then as we'll look at the schedules. We'll break that down to see who has an advantage there. I know Edmonton, they're going to be playing in LA, I think tomorrow, then Anaheim and San Jose. So they have one California trip upcoming. And even though they've won four in a row and they've played very well here over the last month and change, let's see if Edmonton has any more gas in their tank to leapfrog over both LA and Vegas. And that matchup against the Kings, again, I believe that's tomorrow night. That's going to be interesting because they will flip-flop there if they don't play tonight. And I don't think they do. Let me just take a look at the schedule real quick. I don't know if both of those teams are on the docket, but if not, they will face one another tomorrow. I know Vegas is at Minnesota tonight, so that's going to be one to watch for both teams. Tomorrow, you have Edmonton at LA, 10.30, an ESPN game, and that's one to watch there if you're a casual sports fan or obviously a hockey fan to see if Edmonton could get a leg up on the Kings there as far as the race out in the Pacific Division. And then as far as your wild cards go... The Islanders, 
They had a five-point advantage over the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it looked like, not to say they were going to be in cruise control, but they have been erratic here over the last few weeks. It's like they lose two in a row, and then they win two in a row, as they did early in the week. And then now, over the weekend, they get shut out in Tampa, and they lose a tough one to Carolina there last night. And now they come with their tail between their legs home with just a one-point lead, 87-86, to where the Penguins are in second place for the wild card. And we can't forget, the Panthers, they've gotten themselves back in this race as they're just one point behind Pittsburgh and two points behind the Islanders. And the Islanders, they don't play until Thursday, but they will host Tampa, which is not going to be easy. Then they'll host the Flyers on Saturday before a road game. They have three of their final four at home, which is good. But then they have to go on the road to Washington, where right now they seem to be a dead team skating as the Rangers took care of them yesterday, and then the Islanders did beat Washington in Washington earlier last week before hosting Montreal before it's all said and done. So if the Islanders could get past Tampa, and mind you, they don't play till Thursday, where a lot of these other teams, remember, the Islanders have played more games than the teams that are behind them, where they've already played 78, Pittsburgh's played 77, Florida's played 77, and we can't overlook Buffalo. The Sabres, who are five points behind the Penguins for the second wild card, they played 75 games. So they have three games in hand on the Islanders. And when you do the math, if they were to win those three games, that's six points and that's 87 points right there. That's not to say the Sabres are going to win those three games, but we have to keep them in mind as far as this playoff pursuit because with that many games to make up, anything can happen and the Sabres could go on a roll. As it is, they have won two in a row, although in the last 10, they're 5-3-2. and two, But we're going to have to... Pay attention to them as this race to the wild card begins to mount a lot of pressure on this Islander team. And let's see whether the coach Lane Lambert is going to be able to thwart the pressure from the teams that are beneath them. And then on top of that, they have their fingers crossed for some reinforcements coming back as Matthew Barzal has been out for at least a month, maybe almost six weeks with that knee injury that he suffered in that game in Boston. But for Barzal... Hopefully he can resume skating this week. Maybe he'll come back the following week, play a couple of games as a fine-tune to maybe, for the Islander fans like yours truly, would hope that he, he could get a couple of games under his belt and maybe get ready for the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That remains to be seen, but it is going to be a fight to the finish for this Islander team as they try to just continue to win, although they've lost two in a row here and have a big matchup against the Lightning there on Thursday. So you know that I'll be all over that. And then the wild card out west has Seattle and Winnipeg separated by one point. 90 for the Kraken, 89 for the Jets. You have Calgary, two points behind Winnipeg. And then Nashville, five points behind. And the only reason why I bring up Nashville is because they have two games in hand on both Calgary and Winnipeg. And also Seattle has two games in hand on Winnipeg and Calgary. So you would think because of that, Seattle should be in good stead to at least get the number one seed as far as the wild card goes. As for Winnipeg, Calgary, and even Nashville, let's see what happens. And like I mentioned, come Thursday on the podcast, I'll break down their schedules for the final week, see where this all lies when we break it down then. But let me take a look at the schedule here because we did talk Edmonton and LA tomorrow. But let's see. Tonight, Nashville's at Dallas. That's going to be a big game for Nashville. And we know Dallas is choose because we just talked about what's happening there in the Central between them, Minnesota, and Colorado. Tomorrow, 
Buffalo's at Florida. That's a huge game for the Sabres. That could actually be a knockout game because Florida's ahead of them. They're a point behind, like I mentioned, of the Penguins and two points behind the Islanders. So that's an enormous game for them. The Penguins are in Jersey tomorrow. Vegas is at Nashville. Another big game. Boy, those are two tough matchups for Nashville. They got to go to Dallas and then they host Vegas there these next two nights. Chicago at Calgary. Seattle at Vancouver. Colorado at San Jose. Then you have Calgary at Winnipeg. Oh, you talk about a big one there. That is enormous for Calgary. And there's a matchup out west. If you're looking for a wild card spot there, Calgary, you need to win that game against Winnipeg. If not, that could be curtains for the Flames. Tampa's at the Garden on Wednesday. And then Edmonton and Anaheim, like I mentioned, they are on that California stretch. And then on Thursday, we'll talk about the Thursday schedule and how that unfolds. But Calgary, an enormous game. There on Wednesday. And then Nashville, those two games in hand, well, there they are right in front of them as they have to play in Dallas tonight and then tomorrow hosting Vegas. National Hockey League heating up here. The final 10-11 days of the season. You know I got you covered here as the fall and winter sports are starting to get not even in the home stretch but to the final few lengths to get across the finish line as we look on the horizon for the NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs in a week and two weeks time to come. Now let me turn my attention as I put on the batting gloves and the helmet as I grab a bat out of the rack to talk baseball. And we're a weekend in and what we've seen so far as far as the games being sped up with all the rule changes. I can only base it on opening day because I follow closely to both the Yankees and Mets and both of those games were rather quick, swift. I know the Mets won 5-3. They won 3 out of 4 in Miami including Kodai Senga who I said last week and he's going to be the wild card people because with Justin Verlander and huh are you shocked Met fans that Verlander is on the IL and is going to be reevaluated next week as I posted on my social media accounts and again in between podcasts you definitely want to go there people because I'll put up content there daily especially if the sports world is percolating with a lot of stuff that's where you could find me as far as getting instant hits or shorts as far as the topics and news that's happening in this wonderful toy department of life. But for what we've seen here, the games have sped up. You've had a few games that have gone nine innings that have been over three hours, three hours, 14 minutes. Games, Boston-Baltimore, that 9-8 game, I think that was three hours and 14 minutes. It's the low-scoring game, whether it was opening day with the Yankees, two hours and 33 minutes when the Yankees won 5 nothing. I know in the Mets 1-5-3 opening day, I think that was 2 hours, 53 minutes. So you have seen some changes here, not only with the rules, but also with the time of games where we all know that in the past, these games would go 3-15 on average, let alone just 3 hours and 15 minutes by chance. And let's see, we need more of a body of work on whether or not that we could really get a grasp of these games being consistently cut 20 minutes, 25 minutes shorter than previous years. I like it. I'm all for it. Anything to make the game faster. I'm not a guy that wants to see a batter get out of the batter's box and take 100 swings or the pitcher take 20 minutes to get a sign or through pitch com. Uh Uh-uh. Let's get these games in and out and that's it. So I'm all for that. As for 
Anything else that's happening in baseball, I'm not going to go through standings or shocks or anything like that. If there is a surprise, the Mariners, and I understand that the Guardians are a good team. They made it to the postseason. They gave the Yankees all they could handle last year in the divisional series. But for the Guardians to go in there and win three out of four, great job by them. Robbie Ray on the IL, he has a left flexor strain and he pitched poorly in his one start there on Friday. Didn't even get out of the fourth inning. Gave up five walks, three runs, four hits. Pitched horribly there. So Seattle, which is a team that I thought maybe could get out of the gate a little sluggish, but I got to give it up to the Guardians. They're going to be a good team. They're going to be a team to be reckoned with, albeit in a weak AL Central, although the Twins are off and flying as they're 3-0 to start off their season. Beating up on the Royals, I believe, over the weekend. But other than that, no other big surprises. Yankees winning two out of three. Mets winning three out of four, which was good for them. And as I mentioned, Kodai Senga with Verlander on the shelf. And I don't know how long he's going to be out for. He's going to be reevaluated. They're going to take their time. We all know it's a marathon, not a sprint. But this does not bode well. And as I mentioned, talking about teams that could be disappointments, if they're top two starters with Scherzer, and Scherzer who actually pitched well for five innings and the sixth inning blew up on him. But if they're going to pitch... Even a slight below what they normally do year in and year out. That's not going to bode well for this Met team throughout the course of the year. And Senga, as I said one last time, he's the wild card of this rotation. And yesterday, pitched well, struck out eight, gave up the one run, did walk three. But Senga with that ghost fork pitch and him just baffling the Marlin hitters at times. If this is going to be the beginning of something special for this kid, then I can't wait to see it and I'm all for it. And that's not to say he's going to have a Fernando-esque, Doc Gooden-esque type of take the baseball world by storm approach, but if it's even 50% of that, I'd sign up for it in blood. But we can't get crazy over one start. Then you had the scenario with Anthony Rendon and the fan. Uh, Seriously? Now, based on the reports, and there was a video that was leaked on social media, I didn't really look for this, and I'm sure Rendon's probably going to get fined, I don't think he's going to get suspended, but as we all know, and I get it, we're humans, and I understand that we could get triggered by what fans have to say, and from the report, a fan, I guess that walkway from the dugout, and that's the old Oakland Alameda Coliseum, where the proximity from the fans to the dugout is pretty close. And for whatever the reason, I guess he was walking toward the locker room or to the clubhouse and a fan screamed, I guess he's a bitch or something along those lines. And then he confronted the fan to the point where he pulled through the gate his jersey and I guess called him a 12-letter expletive. And that was pretty much the extent of it. Rendon obviously was going to take the high road and not talk about it. Same for the manager. It's being reviewed. It's not going to be anything serious. I believe he also even took a swipe at the fan through the gate, but he missed. So he's probably going to get fined. I don't think he's going to get suspended. If he connected on the fan, then that's a whole different story. Who knows? Are they going to make Rendon an example here and maybe give him a game or two? I don't know. I don't think it's worth that much. Now, I didn't see the video. I understand that, but you would think he's going to get fined at the most and... As we know, Major League Baseball is investigating on that. Let me see what else I could expound here as far as the opening weekend of the baseball season. I do like that the games are sped up, as we talked about. 
nothing else to really get into. It's way too early to even think about teams getting out of the gate and things of that nature. Whether you're Tampa Bay 3-0 or the Twins, like I mentioned, also starting off their season with the same record. And some of these other teams, even the Texas Rangers, give it up for them. Even after the poor DeGrom start, what did he give up? Five runs, six hits. He did walk seven, didn't, or he did strike out seven, excuse me. He didn't walk a batter, but got smacked around the ballpark. Gave up, I believe all of the hits that he gave up were extra base hits. But other than that, Phillies 0-3. Obviously, them being in Texas over the weekend and got smacked around. I'm not going to get too crazy about anything else that's happened here over the last few days. So, I'll just pivot to something that, my apologies, hand raised high in the air and Lord knows I went in on the baseball preview the other day. But the one thing I did forget was my over-under numbers for the year. And I took some risks. I'm rolling the dice on a couple of these and... I'm not going to get crazy. It's been three days, three games, etc. But right now, it's not looking good out of the gate. But as we all know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, as I mentioned. But here they are, my three overs and three unders for 2023. I'm picking Toronto over 90 and a half. I think they're going to have a big year. They've done quite a bit here this offseason, whether it's bringing in Dalton Varsho. I understand they traded Teoscar Hernandez out to Seattle. But with their rotation... And with their expectations coming into the year, with their young players, including their veteran and the one George Springer, I think this team, they're going to take it another step high, not only just make the postseason, but get out of that wild card. I'm sure they have a bad taste in their mouths after that game two, as I talked about there on Thursday, losing to Seattle in the way they did in that wild card game. And 90 and a half, that is a good number. They're probably going to be somewhere 92, 93, I would think. So therefore, I'm going to pick Toronto as an over, number one. Number two, I'm going to pick Arizona, 74 and a half. And based on what I said the other day, young core could be a surprise. Not a surprise as far as making it to a wild card scenario or being in the hunt in August and September. But a team that is, I'm not going to say on the rise as of yet, but a team that could surprise some people. I would think with their young starting pitching, who's pretty good, Zach Gallen in particular, Zach Davies, I know he's been around, but he's a competent starter and one that you can rely on. You also have Madison Bumgarner, who I know got smacked around there the other day, I believe in LA, but he's a guy that has some veteran presence. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but he's a guy that, again, the team is going to maybe look toward for some guidance and some presence there, although he's not a rah-rah type of guy. But I just like Arizona as being a team that could be a surprise. Maybe win 77. High is going 500, 81-81. We shall see. But that is my team number two. And the same even for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Because they have good young players. They have pitching that is in the rank as far as their minor league system goes. And their number is 67 and a half. Can they win 68 games? Can they even at least get 70? Now, I understand it's a stretch. And I didn't want to pick a middling team. I didn't want to pick a team that is on the cusp. I wanted to have my overs as teams that hopefully we could look at come August, September. I know it's a huge risk, but maybe have a little bit of fun with if they're hanging around and they're getting close to that number as opposed to being out of it come 4th of July. And this is what I'm banking on here with a young Pirate team, a young Arizona team that maybe will play a little bit above that number 
So that's why I picked those two. And then my unders, I'm going back to the well one more time and it's not looking good as Tampa's off to a 3-0 start. I believe Tampa won 88 last year and their number was 89 and a half. And in fact, last year their number was exactly at 89 and a half. And the reason why I'm picking them as an under, I get it, they have very good starting pitching and their bullpen is excellent. But their offense is from hunger. Now, I understand you probably wouldn't have seen that over the weekend as they clobbered the Tigers. But then again, the Tigers are awful. But the Rays do not have an offense that's going to scare the living daylights out of opposing teams. And yes, they can pitch. Understood. And they are very resourceful, led by their manager, Kevin Cash. But I think they're going to just fall a bit short. They may make it to the postseason like they did last year. And they're going to be in the thick of things come pennant race time later in the summer. But I think they're going to fall just a tad short. 89.5, that's my under number one. Texas, after their 3-0 start, 81.5. And to me, I'm basing this on their pitching staff. They bring in the Grom, they bring in Ivaldi. Those are guys that when healthy, we know that they could pitch well, and especially the Grom. But their recent track history, as far as their medical issues, that is something that could crop up at any point. And with the way the Grom started, I understand it's just one start. But if he's going to be smacked around from time to time, and as Met fans, we haven't seen a lot of that here over the last few years, that is not going to bode well for a Texas Ranger team that has pushed all their chips to the middle of the table for DeGrom, and to a certain extent, even with Eovaldi as a free agent. So I'm looking at it more as they're pitching, faltering down the stretch as opposed to their hitting. That's why I have them as an under, and then the Nationals. I hate to pick on them. Last year was the A's for me at 70 and a half, and obviously I won that going away, and the Nationals. Just like I said on Thursday, they have two remaining players from their World Series team, and they just won the World Series less than four years ago. Victor Robles, a center fielder, and Steven Strasburg, who we cannot find with a roadmap, a GPS, and a magnifying glass. And they're going to be a team that in the next few years are going to be good, With the trades that they made with LA and San Diego, they have plenty of firepower in their farm system that I would think by 26 or 2027, who knows? They may be in the thick of things when it comes to a division or even a pennant race. But as of right now, 59 and a half, that is their under and I am sticking with it. So to recap, overs, Toronto, 90 and a half, Pittsburgh, 67 and a half, Arizona, 74 and a half. Unders, Tampa, 89.5, Texas, 81.5, and Washington, 59.5. Once again, my apologies for not announcing that there during the baseball preview on Thursday, but you got them there now as we already are underway of this 2023 baseball season, as I'm sure I am, as well as many other baseball fans out there are looking forward to. And now do it, my good people, another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for being a part And listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports, your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials and please follow me or subscribe, you could do so by going to YouTube at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels podcast, Twitter, JReels1, just the number. And if you want to hit me up with a question or comment, or even a suggestion, you could do so by going to the Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send me, I'll be more than happy to follow up. 
And in closing, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth is going to go 100% to the upkeep of the website, this entire production, the equipment, etc., that makes this experience into the microphone through your earbuds or speakers that much more pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, as well as informative, because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. And I am here to stay. I am not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. We're five plus years into this, and I plan to do this for five plus decades. Because whether you're unable to hear the passion, energy, fire in my voice, then I don't know what else to tell you. Because one more time, I love to express my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, Praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.